This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 9. This is Writing Excuses. Quick characterization. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we are talking all this month about side characters. And it's a topic we've touched on before in Writing Excuses. So I want to dig into something specific about side characters this week. I want to talk about how we characterize people quickly. Um, because sometimes you just don't have a lot of space to dedicate to these side characters. So let's say you only have a couple sentences to characterize someone. Dan, how do you go about doing it? Um, the, the kind of the cheap and dirty hack that I use is just to give them something that is, in my opinion, unexpected. Um, you know, if, based on what their role is or what their situation is, you know, in the story, I will throw something else weird on top of that so that you'll remember, oh, yeah, this is that kid, but also right. he really likes this one strange thing. You put them in conflict with the reader's expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a really good way to make someone memorable. Yeah, one of the things that I try to do actually is uh, that thing, except not just the reader's expectations, but the point of view character's expectations. Um, and yeah. I, because using that allows me to uh, to kind of slide past some of the, I am telling you what this character looks like. Uh, it, it also allows me to then convey information about my main character, which when I'm writing short fiction, I have to be able to get every sentence to do double duty. One of the sneaky tricks that I will use sometimes um, is uh, I will use some of the tools that people use to remember names in real life which is if the character says their name, I will slide a detail in that is alliterative Hmm. without without calling attention to it. That's interesting. Yeah, Monty with the mustache. So like an example? Monty with the mustache. Monty with the mustache. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean... Howard with the hairless. (laughs) (laughs) Hairless Howard. You know, and, and there are other memory palace kinds of things that you can do with that too. So right. um, make the guy named Jim a butcher. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually that mm-hmm. would totally work. So um yeah, I I was I'm terrible with remembering names. And uh, and that's when I'm meeting someone in real life. So I was taking a class on on how to remember names, and it doesn't help me actually that much. It's a little better, but um, but I suddenly realized that these were all very useful tools for cementing a name with a reader. So um, you know, if I if I have a character who is a jeweler, then I will one of the details that I'll call attention to is you know uh, the the earrings that are hanging from her. Uh, from her pendulous earlobes. Right. Um, and if that, and I name, have named her Patricia, um, or, you know, and pendulous. Pendularia. Yeah. <laughs> Penny. Mm. Um, so that's, that is a very sneaky, I do not deploy that all the time, but that is, that is a trick that uh, works distressingly well. <laughs> no, I think I got better with side characters once, and this is kind of coming back to the name thing, once I realized that I wasn't good with names and I wanted to be, and so I started practicing anytime I was in public. Um, I learned the names of all the people working the line at the place where I got salads. And in the course of doing that, 
uh, they always gave me the best strawberries because I was the guy who came in and knew everybody's names. But in the course of learning their names, they're all wearing identical clothing. They're all working this salad line. But in the course of learning their names, I forced myself to remember some of these details. My, I taught my brain that this is important. And so I started retaining that information. Um, it's, it's fascinating that, that the two seem to be related. And if I, I, I will often see in movies when I can't tell two side characters apart, um, I know they've done it wrong mm-hmm. because uh, I'm pretty good at tracking those things. And if I can't tell, uh, then it's just, it's not, it's not been done right. So well, yeah, go ahead. The, the one counterexample being something like Crab and Goyle from Harry Potter, who are supposed to be There's, interchangeably faceless. Yeah. Um, uh, how do you characterize people without viewpoints? Uh, and let me explain this. I find it as a writer really easy if I give myself a brief viewpoint through someone's eyes to dig into their backstory, to kind of discover right who they are, right? <laughs> and just oh, suddenly man. they come to life. And if I don't have a viewpoint, then I have a lot of trouble with that. It's like, you know, I, I will go ahead sometimes, even when I'm doing short fiction, I will go ahead and do a, a little bit of an exploratory uh scenelet thing from the other character's point of view, usually the same scene that I'm writing, um, especially if I've got a character that is being very flat, uh, which still happens sometimes. It's just, you're not getting traction on them. And so I'll, I'll do, I'll do exactly that. I'll write that scene from their point of view, which helps me figure out what their motivations are and, and some of the physical, the, the body language that they're going to be using. And then I'll flip back to my main character uh, do the scene again and incorporating the, the information that I've learned, uh, which will often, I don't do that every time, but it's a very useful exercise to engage in sometimes. I've seen you do something yeah, similar. Yeah, so the the thing that I do all the time, and this is, this is such a, a dumb little thing, I will play two truths and a lie with my characters because then I get to know things about them and I get to know what kind of things they would lie about. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating. I've done it with, um, I think at this point, all of my young adult series. Uh, The one I'm writing right now, I actually put a scene into the book because I find it so interesting. Um, But just to watch them tell truths and tell lies, you know, inevitably I'll have one character that tries to cheat, you know, and it just tells me a lot about who they are very quickly. I want to, point something out that you said about what are the things that they would lie about and why would they lie about them? I think that when we we have characters who uh, who wind up uh, dropping into being just a single quirk, uh, we, then I think one of the reasons that that happens is because we've thought, oh, I'm going to do that quirk. I'm going to give him this quirky thing that the flanderization... Right. We'll talk mm-hmm. about flanderization in a minute. Yeah. yeah. We, we can just dig into it right now. Why don't you tell us what flanderization is? So flanderization is referring to the the slow evolution of a character into just being a quirk. And it, it relates to the, the what happened to the character Flanders on The Simpsons, that he started out as being this very rounded character and then eventually became a... a yeah. single joke. Because when people saw him come on the screen, they all wanted him to do his thing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he did his thing, and the writers all just had him do his thing, and then he stopped being a person and started being a quirk. Right. So I think one of the things that you can do to keep that from happening is figure out why your character does that thing, and then only deploy it when the triggers happen. If you want them to do it, then you have to give them the trigger, and the trigger then has to be uh, coherent to the rest of the story. 
And it also makes the character more rounded because you, you know, whatever reason they have to do that, that thing, that same reason is going to motivate a lot of other different choices. And next month, we're going to dig into this kind of idea really deeply. We'll do an entire podcast on the idea of characters who are self-contradictory or characters who wear different hats in different social situations and act differently mm-hmm. in those social situations. Uh, Spoiler so we alert. Will, we will Everyone dig. does. Yeah, we will dig into this a lot. Let's- Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. And you're actually going to tell us about Brimstone. Yes, Brimstone by Sherry Priest is fantastic. Um... It is a story set right after the First World War, uh, and there are two main characters. The uh, One of them is a young woman who is a medium, and she has traveled to this new small town to learn how to use her powers. And it's a real town that really had a spiritualist movement in it, and still does. Um, and then the other character is a man who uh, survived the war and has come back with a ghost. Um, but he doesn't realize he has a ghost. Uh, things just keep catching on fire. And and it's their interaction and figuring out what it is that is haunting him and has come back with him from the war. And the characterization in this is so rich. It's a huge cast because she's in this small town filled with spiritualists that she's meeting. And there's it's this very com- huge community. Each character feels distinct and individual, even the ones that are on stage just for a few moments. It's And even the ones who actually never come on stage because they're dead already. Um, (laughs) It's wonderful storytelling. Brimstone. Brimstone Brimstone by Sherry Sherry Priest. Priest. And if you've never read Sherry Priest, she's one of the few writers who can hook me from the very first sentence of a book. Just the writing itself, the language is incredible. Yeah, and it's it's written in an epistolary form so that each character is, uh, what you're reading are their journals. Yeah. Um, So one of the things I've learned over the years for characterizing side characters in specific or doing things quickly is what I call peekaboo moments. Mm. Um, And it's it's a measure of great gratification to me as a writer when occasionally someone will come up and say, oh, this little side character just came to life for me. And almost always it's somebody I've done one of these peekaboo moments where, you know, you are writing a story and in general, you'll describe the scene and then focus in on the main characters and have the conversation or the conflict or things like this. And everything else fades to background, even some of the side characters who are coming in and interacting with them. And what I like to do is occasionally say, no, we're going we're gonna to add a splash of color to this specific scene, to this specific person. We're going to fade them from the black and white background into the characters paying attention to them saying, oh, this person Mm. wasn't what I thought they were. This guard who's standing guard at the door um, isn't the person I thought they were. They are, you know, between, while they're waiting, they're standing there juggling or something like this. And what I try to do in these peekaboo moments is show a moment of humanity and backstory and passion from somebody who's not related to the main story at all, uh, just so that you get a glimpse that, hey, all these people 
populating this world have their own motivations and their own passions. And I find that the occasional use of one of these can really add a lot of vividness to your story or using them with a, a character who's often in the scene but is never the main character. Um, the reader will take that character and take that image of them and bring it to the next scenes where they're there. And they're like, oh yeah, this is the person who has twin daughters and you know is always on the lookout mm-hmm. for two copies of things because they like to give it to their twin daughters. I don't know, something like that that, that human, um, gives humanity to the background characters. Yeah, there's uh, one of my favorite movies is Brick by Ryan Johnson, which is a, a basically a film noir, but set in a modern high school. And as much as I love it, I could not tell you who any of the side characters are except for one drug dealer who pauses somewhere around the second act break and gives a little monologue about how much he likes the Lord of the Rings books. Hmm. And he's such a beautiful character because of that moment. It's, it's amazing how much richness that adds. Now, one of the tricks that I use is uh, having the characters justifiably talk about each other. Um, the 18th, 18th, good Lord, Schlock Mercenary book, uh, one of the opening scenes, uh, the, the company's about to take a job and our protagonist is talking to her sister and her sister's saying, you know, I need medical help. She's like, I'm not a doctor. Why are you calling me? Well, you work for a mercenary company. You got battlefield medics, don't you? Well, yeah, our doctor, I guess she's okay. But our our battlefield medic is like a walking cutlery station. And then we have the battlefield medic show up behind her and say, saved your life. And Schlock says, she also hears really well. <laughs> and now we have, in two panels, insight into five characters. Uh, and, okay, it helps that I'm able to illustrate them, so some of this context yeah. is here. Luxury! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the... And I'm, I did it specifically, and this is, you know, I've got a spreadsheet for this. I did it because I knew these characters are all going to be critical to this story, and I need to introduce the reader to them early in a way that is memorable. Um, but doesn't take a lot of panels. But doesn't take a lot of panels. And yeah, it took, it took two panels. And while this is happening, we are moving the story forward by establishing why th- this job is going to make sense for the company to take. You know, there are some books out there, and I, I was going to give the, the kind of warning that you can't do this too much in most books. Yeah. If every scene you're spending a paragraph on five different side characters, mm-hmm. then suddenly you're the point of quickly characterization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but there are some books that this is kind yeah. of the way the book is. Uh, mm-hmm. We've recommended The Gollum and the Jinn, uh, the Genie, uh, The Gollum and the Genie. The Genie on the podcast yeah. before. Um, and I read that because you guys recommended it. And it is a story mostly about the side characters. Yeah. Uh, and on this page, you will spend three pages on this side character. On this one, you'll, and they just kind of are there populating the story and constantly interacting with the main characters. But the main characters are almost there as an excuse to explore an entire community. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. But, and I think one of the reasons it works in that book is because everything is new to the main characters. And so that's one of the reasons that it works is because of the the POV focus on who is this interesting person that I have encountered that is unlike anything that I've ever seen living in a glass bottle for a thousand years. Um, So this is, there there are many other books that do that where I think it does not work. It's not compelling and engaging. I would agree. Mm -hmm. 
can I can I offer one other trick? Um, think about one of the things that I will do sometimes is um, think about where the character was or what they were doing before the protagonist walked on stage. Because I think one of the things that will make a character uh, seem flat is when they have just been waiting for the main character to appear. So, you know, it's, you don't even have to give the character a name or anything like that. But if my main character walks in and the, uh, the clerk behind the counter wiped mustard off her mouth and then smiled brightly, can I help you? That character already feels more real and compelling than just... That's a really good tip. Um, um, I think we're out of time. Howard, though, you've got a cool thing that cartoonists use. Oh, yeah, the silhouette test. Um, it's not it, cartoonists, uh, comic book writers, anybody who's working in sequential art where there are characters. And uh, puppeteers. There's this, and puppeteers. Um, if you're going to keep these characters straight, they have to be able to pass the silhouette test, which is where all of the details of the characters are removed. All you can see is the outline, or all you can see is, you know, the filled outline, just the silhouette. And if you can't tell them apart, something has to change. Um, I, I have, <laughs> I ask myself this all the time. What is the prose equivalent for the silhouette test? And what I've kind of boiled it down to is the adverbs and adjectives that I will so rarely let myself use when I'm describing characters, which are the ones that I would only use on character A and would never use on character B and just make a quick list of those adjectives and adverbs. And once I have those, when I am writing the characters, those adjectives and adverbs need to disappear um, they, because, you know, you expand them out into other things. Right. Yeah, so, some, so your come up homework with, is yeah. come up with those. Yeah, you don't necessarily want to always describe somebody who comes on scene as greasy. But no. if on one scene they're the person who's always eating a big hamburger and dropping bits of it to their to yeah. their jeans, then that image you can use so repeatedly. The, homework, the yeah. homework: take your cast of characters and make their adjective adverb list so that, in terms of those words, they are passing the silhouette test for you. That's great. This has been writing excuses. You're out of excuses now. Go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 